Wow. What a privilege to, uh, to be here with uh, the Unihill family right here in the North Campus, but also for those online at East Campus. Great to be able to be with you in, um, in, in what is a, a wonderful missional church. I just loved hearing Greg's report of the sorts of things that, as a church, we're engaging in to impact, uh, impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that, is, that is fantastic. Um, look, I, uh, Charles uh, mentioned that Dream Builders churches are very passionate about, uh, about advancing the cause of Christ in the world, locally and globally. And, uh, you know, that's something that we've been building as a network of churches for over 20 years and so when he talks about giving 800,000 to a million dollars a year to advance the cause of Christ in the world that's just our missions giving not tithes or other things that's not something that just happened it happens over decades of uh, of, of just a, a passion for um, making sure that Jesus' last command to go into all the world and preach the gospel becomes our first priority. And when, that's, when that is built into our DNA, then, you know, there's nothing that we cannot do uh, and there's nothing that we cannot achieve because the Lord is building the church. And uh, it's over 2,000 years old and everything has been thrown at it, trying to destroy it, trying to, uh, you know, just trying to move it on. The cancel culture is just trying to get rid of the Bible and the church and everything. And, and you can't cancel God. You, you can't cancel the one who created the heavens and the earth. Try all you like. You'll end up in the grave. It's... And I don't know where you, where you want to be after that, but I know where my where my hope is. It's in Jesus, Amen. So um, you know, I'm I uh, I just love the fact that as a church, over a number of weeks, you are focusing on missions. Uh, not that you're not missional every other week of the year. You are. You share the good news of Jesus. Alpha's running. You know, but. I just believe having this focus helps us all to realign our hearts with a missional God. And so, you know, I just have huge respect for Charles and, um, and April. Uh, they are wonderful pastors and their heart for God and his church is, is just huge. And I love it. And, and so this summit is just an example of their commitment to seeing, to seeing to it that for this church, Jesus' last command is our first priority. Amen? So we're part of a movement, aren't we? Acts Global Churches. It's a, it's a great movement. I was born into this movement and here I am, 61 years of age, and I'm still part of this movement and passionate about it. We are a people who understand this. We are an apostolic people. What does that mean? Well, that's a word that means sent. Apostle means sent one. So we are a people who, who understand that we are sent ones. You know, the mark of, of a of a person who has an apostolic spirit um, is, is simply this. It's a willingness to say when the question is asked by God, 
um, who will I send? A person with an apostolic spirit is a person who responds the way that we read in Isaiah 6, 8, responds with this, here am I, send me. So we are are an apostolic people, we carry apostolic DNA, and we have this spirit-led life that, that is passionate about saying yes to God when he says, who will I send? And I believe that there's a room here in in North Campus and also at the East Campus full of people who are saying, I want to be aligned with the mission of God. You know, um, uh, uh, a past um, missionary and pastor, Canadian pastor Oswald J. Smith said this, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its Biblical right to exist. That's pretty heavy words. But I, I believe that there's, there's so much truth in what he's saying because Jesus said, go and make disciples. If our focus is just stay and have a good time, I don't think we're aligned with the heart of Jesus. Um, Ralph Winter, a, a, a missiologist who, who's, you know, impacted, he, he's passed away, but has impacted so many missionaries over the centuries, or sorry, over the decades, I should say, he didn't live for centuries, but he continues to impact, you know, um, after he's passed away. And he's, he said this, the Bible is not the basis of missions, missions is the basis of the Bible, And I love the words of Jesus as it says in uh, the American Standard Version, as it's uh, written in the American Standard Version. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew his mission, he knew he had to give up his life for you and for me. And in that moment, this is what he said to the Father, John chapter 12, verse 27. He said, Father, save me from this hour. Because of, in his humanness, the pain and the anguish that he was feeling, knowing what he was going to go through. He said, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What was Jesus saying? For this cause I was born. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we can never say that we don't have a reason for existence. I don't know what my ministry is. I don't know what my calling is. As, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot say I don't have a reason for existence because we, like Jesus, should be saying, for this cause, I was born. Missions is not a ministry choice for a few zealous Christians in Uni Hill Church. Missions is the purpose of the church. And, you know, with with the exception of Jesus, as we read the New Testament, with with the exception of Jesus, no one in history, in the history of Christianity, has played a more significant role in advancing the cause of Christ in the world than Paul the Apostle. You know, when you read the book of Acts, you you discover there that, you know, uh, more than half of that significant narrative of the early church, more than half of that narrative is devoted to Paul's missionary journeys. You know, and so when we think about that, 
And we think about what Paul said to the church in Corinth in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If, Paul, if Paul's life was missionary service, that's how we can identify his life. And he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need to be seeing ourselves as a lifelong missionary. As someone who's devoted ourselves to the cause of Christ. And so those words of Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ, are exhorting us to follow the example of Christ. You know, at the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 1 verse 5, in the New Living Translation, this is what Paul said, Through Christ... God has given us the privilege and authority to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. I want to say this from that verse of Scripture, some key words in that, in that and I'm not going to spend time on them, but key words, there's a privilege associated with sharing the gospel. The gospel has authority and power, and it's for everyone everywhere. So a person with a heart for missions, and I believe that's who I'm talking to this morning here in North Campus and also at East Campus. I believe I'm talking to people who understand that we have this wonderful privilege in having the gospel and having been called to share it. And we understand that it is the power of God unto salvation. It has authority. And we are passionate about making sure that it's shared with people everywhere. Unreached people is what Greg just said a few moments ago. People who have not yet had the privilege of hearing that Jesus actually paid a price for their salvation, for their for them to have imputed to them the righteousness of Christ. What a privilege it is that we get to be a part of this. And so I've said all of this to say this, we have a mission. We have a mission. Or it's probably more appropriate to say we're all on mission. Every single one of us. As part of Uni Hill Church today, we are on mission. And this summit is about celebrating being on mission together. We're all called. And we're all called to link arms. We're all called to partner. We're all called to be a, a, a part of the mission that Christ has entrusted to us. So I want to talk about the mission and I want to talk about the strategy. This morning, just as Moses was given a mission, we've been given a mission and they are very similar in nature. You'll see these words on the screen from Exodus chapter 3 verses 9 to 10 in the New Living Translation. It says this, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. This is God speaking. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out 
of Egypt. God said, the cries of the people have reached me. You need to understand that at that same God who spoke to Moses is still hearing today the cries of people, the cries of the oppressed, the cries of the broken. He hears them. And when God hears the cries of the oppressed and the downtrodden, he responds with a plan to set them free. And his plan, as it was in the time of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, his plan is the same today. It always has been, it's a person. And his plan was Moses. And this morning I want, I'm here and the assignment that the Holy Spirit has given me to say is the plan that God has today is you. It's not just Pastor Charles. It's your name. That is the plan that God has. His plan was a person. Moses spoke That person was Moses and God spoke to him and just simply said this, I am sending you. And that's the message that God is giving to us today. He's saying, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Moses' mission was to play a vital role in setting the captives free and leading them into their God-given destiny. And today, all over the world, the oppressed continue to cry out to God His answer is and always will be Jesus, the Son of God, the Saviour of mankind. The answer is always Jesus. But we know this, that Jesus, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit, says to us when he poured out the Spirit upon us, now go and make disciples. I I love, I I just love reading this verse over and over. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus was prophesying what his ministry was. Jesus said, sorry, this is what Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set Free And we think to ourselves, see, Jesus is doing it all. Except that Jesus, after his resurrection, bursts in. We read it in John chapter 20, bursts in, um, you know, quietly but intriguingly into the room where the disciples were wondering what they were going to do after the death of Jesus. Jesus is resurrected and he enters in and he says, peace. Of course he says, peace. They're freaking out. <laughs> What are you doing here? But then he goes on and he says this, as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. And so we can't sort of just say, as followers of Jesus, we can't sort of say, well, Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me and I'm going to set the captives free and all that kind of that kind of stuff. And he said that as a man that people could see and he went about doing that ministry. But after his ascension, his plan was that the Holy Spirit would come upon us so that we too could say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me to preach good news. He's anointed me to set the captives free. He's anointed us 
That's why Jesus could, with all confidence, before he ascended, say this to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He could do it with confidence because the same Spirit that was upon him was going to be poured out upon all flesh, upon us. We are a Spirit-filled people. Acts Churches is a Pentecostal movement. We believe in the Acts 2 experience. We believe that when Jesus said, go and wait, I will pour out my Spirit. We have waited. We have reached out. We have tarried and believed. And God has poured out His Spirit. We're not just filled with the Spirit to speak in tongues. That's a great thing. And I encourage if you don't, reach out and ask God to fill you so that you can pray with a heavenly language. But that's not the only purpose. The purpose is to fulfill the mission that Jesus came to give us. And that is to be his witnesses, even to the end of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. So God's plan for releasing the oppressed is to commission people to carry his anointed message of salvation. I'm here to tell you that's you. God the Father's part in redemption, you need to know, is complete. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Father has played his part. He gave his Son. Jesus' part in redemption is done. John 19 verse 30, when Jesus had tasted it, he's on the cross, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The, the responsibility on him to take upon himself the sins of humankind was complete. The, the veil in the temple was rent. Anyone could enter into the presence of God. Anyone could come because the righteousness of Christ was imputed to those who believe. Jesus' part in redemption is done, but our part, you need to know, our part is yet to be completed in God's plan for redemption. Because Jesus said we're anointed to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth we're called, church, we're called to get on with the job in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to put the needs of others above our own. That's, that's, what, that's what the call is. Jesus is saying you need to humble yourself. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Even as Christ humbled himself, you need to humble yourself. We need to put the needs of others above our own because that's what Jesus did. And that's really what, you know, the mission summit and the opportunity that Pastor Charles will be giving you over these next few weeks to, uh, to make a what we call a faith promise. Faith promise is is saying, I want to engage in mission. I want to be a person full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit who 
actually makes a commitment, a financial commitment to see to it that we continue to advance the cause of Christ in the world as a church, as Uni Hill Church. And so we can demonstrate putting the needs of others above our own simply by making a faith promise. And Pastor Charles will tell you more about that later, but it's a way for us to engage. We need to be engaged in mission, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, in, in one-on-one, in an alpha kind of environment and so forth, in our work environment. But we can also engage in missions across the globe through partnering, through giving and partnering with organisations and people who are getting on with the job in other parts of the world. And that way we're fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Our world needs Jesus. Our world is desperately in need of a saviour. You know, there are 689 million people living in extreme poverty in the world. We can talk about how many billion people there are in the world and say, oh, you know, it's just a percentage. 689 million in extreme poverty. I've had days when I've said, gee, I'm poor. I don't know anything compared to those folks. You know, there are 40 million people in modern slavery right now. 82.4 million people forcibly displaced from their homes and the number increases. There are 26.4 million registered refugees in the world right now. There are 153 million orphans. There are 21 million people trafficked for profit there are over 3 billion people, and this is, the, this is the kicker statistic, let me tell you. Over 3 billion people in unreached people's groups. Let's let that number sink in. 3 billion people who have a God-shaped vacuum in their heart, as Billy Graham used to say, who don't even know who fills that vacuum, trying to find it in all sorts of things, animism, other, other, other religions that have been, you know, um, quite active evangelistically that are in some of these places, but they've not yet heard of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Three billion. Can you just get your head around that? That's a massive number and somebody has to say we can't be happy about that. We need to do something about that. Now that when we look at numbers like that, the word the work of spreading the gospel does seem daunting. And the need for humanitarian aid globally is overwhelming, trust me it is. We look out onto the shores of the world, we see millions of people washed up from the tides of life. They're lost, they're broken, they're hurting, they're dying. Individual lives laying victim of poverty and slavery. Victims of abuse and abandonment. Victims of war and evil. All, all this is going on and people will say that the problems are just too many. How on earth... Could a church 
with two campuses in the north of Melbourne and in the east of Melbourne. How could a church make a difference? Where on earth do we start? We start by reaching out to one and then to another. And we make a difference one by one. Jesus always talked about the importance of the one. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4, he tells the story. It's a parable. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Well, Jesus is hoping that's what the good shepherds would do. But we know we live in a world that statistically says 1%. Jesus is pointing out that the one is important. And if we're going to make a difference in the world, it starts with the one. It starts with the one. And Jesus practically demonstrated the importance of reaching the one. You know, we love reading Matthew chapter 6. We love reading the, the Sermon on the Mount and we like to talk about the crowds that were there, you know, for the feeding of the 5,000 and so forth. We, we love to talk about those kind of numbers and the impact that the words of Jesus and the teaching had. And yet Jesus modelled something else in the New Testament that we need to take note of. We need to think about when we're reading through the Gospels and after the times when Jesus talks to the crowd, the moments like in Matthew chapter 5 when he, when he crosses over the lake, gets off the boat and he sees this man who is completely out of his mind. He's, the man is just a mess emotionally. The scriptures tell us that he was a demonised man, a troubled man. Jesus' eyes on that time, in that time, were not on people all around. His eyes were on that man and that man's distress alone. He focused on the one. And he went to that man and, and Jesus spoke to the demonic influences in his life and he was set free. And it's a powerful story. Read it for yourself. But the point I'm wanting to make is that Jesus modelled that seeking the one is absolutely critical to making a huge difference in our world. There are so many people who are deeply troubled. This man is just an example of that. In our world, there are so many deeply troubled. They're feeling trapped. Jesus came to set the captives free. And he wants us to play our part in that. And we can do it all over the world. We, we might say, oh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't run across too many people like that just going down to Woolworths. Well, you'd be surprised how many people are troubled, but anyway... Whereas there are other cultures in the world, other situations where literally people are absolutely demonised, um, overwhelmed by the satanic forces that exist in those places. Do you know there are wonderful Christian people 
who are trying to reach those people. And through our faith promises, you know, and we connect and partner and the Holy Spirit leads us to the right people, we can have that kind of influence that Jesus had on the one. I love John chapter 4. It's a great example where Jesus comes and spends some time with a Samaritan woman just in the heat of the day at a well. You know, let, let's, not, let's not forget the whole story um, of John chapter 4 where we understand that Jesus was travelling from Judea to Galilee and Samaria is on the way. But most Jews went around because they avoided going through Samaria because of a, an ongoing relational and cultural difference that they had with the Samaritans. They were literally, you know... <laughs> culture clash, uh, you know, like you've never seen before. But Jesus didn't allow the sense of danger or anything like that to stop him having a divine encounter. That's what I love about for us at Dream Builders. We've got church planting partners in all sorts of parts of the world. And literally they put their life on the line to go into a village and start a church. Um, they basically do what Jesus did. They don't know who they're going to see or where. They just know their life's in danger going in that direction and they go there anyway because they're led by the Spirit to go there as Jesus was and then they meet somebody. They put themselves in harm's way for the sake of one. These are the kind of people I love partnering with and I, I, I know that Uni Church will partner with people like this in different parts of the world and you'll hear their stories and be inspired. You'll also hear stories like I hear at times where they actually don't come back home. They do, get, they, they do lose their life for the gospel. Others are imprisoned. I've, we know uh, we've got a friend in Myanmar right now, uh, a pastor who's in jail and we'll, we don't know when she's going to get out. But they put themselves in harm's way, just like Jesus did. And why? Well, this woman was from an unreached people's group. No one wanted to go near the Samaritans. But Jesus went out of his way to be there to meet with her. And, and Jesus personally connected. He didn't, he didn't just sort of say, you know, I'll send a representative or or whatever, or he didn't just sort of say, oh, can you go there and just put some posters there and say if they'll come to church in our comfortable part outside of the Samaritan border area, then, you know, we can spend some time with them. This is what we do in our, in our you know, uh, in our Western world is that we just sort of say, well, let's just invite people to our safe place. And we say, well, then we, you know, then we can interact with them, but we don't. We ask them to just sit in rows like this and listen to me. But Jesus went and actually sat with one person in an environment that he shouldn't have been in or should have felt unsafe in. But he didn't mind because he knew one matters. We need to believe Church, for the same kind of outcomes we see in Scripture when Jesus reached out to the ones. Let me read them for you. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home with your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. 
He rejected getting saved and going to Bible college because Jesus said, go and tell everyone else what's just happened to you. Simplistic way to say it, but go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great news Jesus had done for them. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. He didn't just go to his family. He went to the 10 towns around who knew of him and the, the person that he, that he was. And he was able to say, once I was lost, now I am found. And it says, everyone was amazed from one encounter. Okay, here's another one. John 4, 28 to 30. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Listen to this, verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. One encounter, a personal interaction with one person results in a whole village streaming out onto the road to try and find Jesus. Come on. They're the kind of miraculous multiplication stories we need to be believing for. Jesus modelled this for us. That is the power of one. Let me tell you, it just takes one. It just takes one. And Jesus showed that. Jesus went to one, the woman goes to the village, the village all listen. Jesus goes to one, the man who was demonised is set free. He goes to 10 towns and shares his testimony and people find Jesus. It just takes one. That's the mission. And his plan is one. But his strategic plan with Moses is summarised in this question that Jesus asked him. The Lord said, what is that? In your hand. And Moses said, It's a staff, a shepherd's staff. The Lord asked Moses, What is in your hand? The staff represented who Moses was and what Moses did. He was a shepherd at that time. The Lord's strategy is to use the gifts and talents that already exist. The Lord actually doesn't want to know what you will have in your hand sometime in the future. He said to Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Not what will you have in your hand one day when you have. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we hear about the mission and we hear God say, go for I'm sending you, we come back with stories like, that's good God, I will, I definitely will go. I just need to do this course. I just need to get that promotion. I just need to be earning this kind of money to make a faith promise. He didn't ask, what will you have? He said, what is in your hand? 
What do you have now? Well, you have the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God's given you. And He wants you to use them. When you're thinking about how can I have a personal interaction with someone to share the love of Christ with them? Well, it usually starts in our workplace. You know, it starts in your sphere of influence. Whether you're in the education sector or whether you're in the health sector or whether you're a tradesperson or whether you, you know, whatever you're involved in. Our influence starts where we are with the gifts and the talents that God has given us. We can't be putting off mission because one day we will have. Today is the day. Today is the day. You know, another way that we can look at our workplace, our situation, who we are, what God's blessed us with, is by saying, you know what, if I could become more of a missions contributor in releasing other people in mission, people who are in developing nations, who are saying, how am I going to plant this church? And we don't realise, but you know, our faith promise could make the difference, not just for a person, but a village. Not just a village, but a city. I love the concept of faith promise. It allows me to engage with mission in a place I can't get to. Our mission field is here. Bandura, Box Hill, surrounding areas. But our mission field can also be somewhere else because of this wonderful tool called Faith Promise. And for over 20 years, Karen and I have been filling out a Faith Promise and we've always done this when we come to thinking of how can we engage more in mission? How can we impact more in the nations of the world? And we've asked ourselves, well, what from good stewardship, from just my own personal budget, what could I give? And it's different for everyone. You might be someone who can think of your budget, think of what you earn and all your expenses and say, you know what, I reckon I could give, I reckon I could give 30 bucks a week out of my budget. Well, that's a good start. But we always ask ourselves another question, but what could I give up? And it could be as simple as, you know what? I buy a coffee every day. It costs me five bucks. I'm going to give up one of those. Maybe I'll give up two. My $30 a week turns to $40 a week. And then we say to ourselves, but we're... Okay, good stewardship, that's what we could do. Giving up, that's what we could do. Where's the faith? Faith promises we need to add faith. Believe for something we don't have. And your faith step, your initial faith step could be say, well, you know what, I could just believe for money I don't have. I could believe for $10 a week. Your $30 I can do turns into $50. $50 a week. Over a year is two and a half thousand dollars. If a hundred people made a fifty dollar a week faith promise, 
You know the maths. What's that, 250,000? It's possible. God can do amazing things through people full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you bow your heads right now? We have a mission. We need to be active in fulfilling that mission. The Lord will always be with us and will supernaturally empower us to do what He's called us to do. But we have to respond. This summit is about responding. This summit is about saying, it just takes one person to make a difference. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Uni Hill Church, both here, Lord, in the North Campus and in the East Campus. I just pray by your Spirit, you would anoint us afresh today. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we respond to your call to go and make disciples. And may we see supernatural fruit in the days that lie ahead, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.